good to be in the Lord's house on Easter. It's always a special Sunday for the church here. We are always blessed to have so many um, visitors with us and family members and those who have traveled to come and to be with their family and to celebrate this day. And so we're glad that you're here with us this morning. We pray that we, we, um, through the singing, has already been a blessing to you. And we also pray that uh, as we open up God's word this morning, that that will be a blessing to you as well. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We'll look at the second chapter this morning. And, and while you're turning there, um, if you would, uh, I'm, I'm going to pray. And so you can turn and then stop and bow with me and pray as well. Father, we do thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the fact that uh, you, Lord Jesus Christ, are no longer in the grave. You have been victorious. You have paid fully the price for our sins. You have defeated all of those things, uh, Satan, sin, death, hell, condemnation, and uh, you have won. And we celebrate that today. We celebrate that each day. We pray that you will be with us this morning as we open your word. You will guide and direct our hearts and our words, and may they penetrate, Lord, beyond our minds and go down to the, the depths of our souls and bring change that we need this morning. We need you to be with us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct and um, accomplish your work through us today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. We're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture this morning. If you want to just stay there in Hebrews um, or put a finger in Hebrews and go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we're celebrating Easter, which is a time in which we look to see and, uh, and honor Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and a time in which we look at uh, John chapter number 10 and we see his, um, the fact that he laid his life down uh, for his people, for his sheep, and that he rose again the third day, and he, he rose again in his own power. He he rose again victorious. He rose again as a display of his own strength and his own might. Um, and in his resurrection, he has um, not only defeated those things, but he has given us a witness to what we can experience as well through his resurrection. We, uh, according to scripture, can become a partaker of his resurrection. We can participate in it by faith. And the power by which Jesus Christ rose from the dead can be that which, the power by which we live life each day. And the victory that Jesus Christ experienced through the resurrection um, for us, um, we can experience it in each and, every, each and every day of our lives. In 1 Corinthians 15, we have this entire chapter about the resurrection and the, the importance of the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was necessary. It's not just his death by which he paid for our sins that was necessary, but his resurrection by which he has given us his righteousness was equally necessary. And for us to have new life, Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead to give us that life. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 14 We'll begin reading in verse number 12. The Bible says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Just notice that simple statement here. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then nor have we. And nor is there any hope for us not only to resurrect from the dead spiritually, but there is no hope for us to resurrect from the dead physically. The Lord says in verse number 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, speaking of Adam, by a man also, by one man also, has come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. For each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And I want you to make note of that phrase there. He will deliver the kingdom to the Lord after destroying all of these evils, all of this wickedness in the world. He destroys it all and then he delivers the kingdom to the Lord. He says, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expecting who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all and in all. And he goes on to describe in further detail, if you have uh, time throughout this week to read the remainder of, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what you'll find is that the resurrection that uh, Jesus Christ accomplished was simply a first fruit. And a first fruit means that there'll be many that will follow. Um, the resurrection that he experienced is a resurrection that um, people will experience as well, that you and I can experience. And, and really it's twofold. We experience a resurrection from death spiritually when we are saved, when we are converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in Christ, we are resurrection from, resurrected from spiritual death. In other words, we now have life. We now have light. We're able to see the truth and understand the truth. And then we also know that after we die, we are resurrected from the grave. And we will be resurrected, um, the Bible says in John 5, that some will be resurrected unto life which means that they will spend eternity with God in heaven and others will be resurrected unto condemnation, which means that they will spend eternity in a place called hell under God's wrath and God's judgment. And we don't like to talk about that place. We avoid conversations about God's judgment and God's condemnation. But what we must understand, and we saw that in 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll look at it further, is that the condemnation of God, the judgment of God is necessary for the perfect righteousness of God to be displayed he must first deal with sin before he can usher in a perfect kingdom. 
goodness cannot reign until, until evil has been dealt with. Evil must be dealt with first before evil, before good can be in authority or can be on the throne. So we see this theme all throughout scripture. Before God establishes his, his authority or his kingdom, he deals with evil. And we live today in what is known as an age of grace or a, a season of grace by which God is very patient with us. He tells us in, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter 3 and verse 9, he says that God is um, long-suffering toward us. God is not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering toward us. He's, he's patient with us. He says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, or all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. That, that is what he's working towards, and this is the season by which that is a possibility and a likelihood. As we go to Hebrews chapter number two, what we're going to see is this, this strong proclamation by the author not to miss out on what the resurrection means to us, not to miss out on the on the um, meaning or the purpose of the resurrection. And we can come to church on, on Easter morning and we can celebrate Jesus Christ being raised from the dead and, and literally miss out on what it means. Not, not experience the, the victory that can be had in it. It can, it can actually become a, a ceremony or, or, or some form of religious service that we do once a year because we feel like we have to and, and there is no true victory that we have because of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, the resurrection of Christ doesn't impact us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't mean anything to us. In, in, in this few verses here in Hebrews chapter number two, the, the, the writer warns us, don't miss out don't miss out on this great salvation. Don't miss out on this great deliverance. Don't miss the meaning. Don't miss the purpose behind Jesus Christ resurrecting from the, from the grave. Don't miss the fact that it can be yours. Not just in relation to eternity, but in relation to how you live your life today. I no longer have to be bound by sin I no longer have to live a life of guilt or shame and condemnation. I, I now am set free because of what Jesus Christ has done for me in his death and what Jesus Christ has done for me in the resurrection. There is so much depth to his resurrection and there's so much practical application to it. The writer and, and, and myself and the Lord himself doesn't want us to miss out on what it all means so that you have an opportunity to experience it personally and practically. Let, let me read to you the four verses here. And, and, and we're gonna review a little bit as well from chapter number one, but let me read these four verses. If you follow along in chapter number two, the Bible says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And the idea of this phrase is we must pay as much attention as we have. It's like maximizing the level of your attention and, and, and focus. If you're focusing on something, this, um, the, the writer is saying, focus on this. Focus on the importance and the significance of what you're getting ready to hear and what you have already heard. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must focus on it lest we drift away from it. For since the 
message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just recompense. The message received by angels, we've learned this in the past few weeks, was the law. That the angels were the ministers of the law. They gave us the law, um, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no graven images to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. And just to give you a few of the commandments. The angels gave those commandments or ministered those commandments in the Old Testament to the people. And the Bible says that every one of those commandments and everyone who broke those commandments received a just recompense for breaking those commandments. That's what he, he's saying here is that the word of the angels, the message of the angels of condemnation for breaking God's law came true how much of the time? All of the time. It wasn't 99% of the people that broke God's law were judged. It was all of the people who broke God's law under the legal system of the Old Testament were judged by the law. And may I submit to you that everyone who breaks God's law in the New Testament will be judged by God's law if they are under God's law. The issue is, is how do we get out from underneath God's law? How do we win victoriously in Christ? And we'll find that out this morning. Here's what he says. He says, um, for since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just recompense, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that's really going to be the theme of the message this morning is this idea of escaping this idea of escaping from something. The, the writer is obviously dealing with there's some type of escape taking place here. And this escape is taking place by this salvation. Um, I, I wrote next to this idea of escape is the idea of rescue because it's not, it's not an escape as we would think of an escape, but it's more of an idea of somebody, being, somebody coming in and rescuing us. He goes on and says, if it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we have this idea of escape here and I really want to look at that and, and unpack that. This, this term, it, 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 is, it, is, it is describing a, um, the word literally means to flee from, to, to, to get away from, to run from for safety in a difficult situation or to escape. In the New Testament, it's used in regards to escaping temptation, to escaping from prison, to escaping from judgment, and to escaping from destruction, to escaping from God's wrath, to, to escape this. The, the term uh, implies uh, this this last minute escape, something is very, very serious and that there is uh, a, a great judgment that's going to fall and at that last moment they escape. A term that could be used as, and used in, in other situations is they escape by the skin of their teeth. I think of in the Bible a man named Barabbas. And you know the story as Jesus Christ was preparing to be condemned a pilot put before them and said, would you like me to release to you Barabbas or Jesus? And Barabbas had already been condemned. He was already waiting for his, for his crucifixion. He was, 
waiting in the prison to be crucified. And when the soldiers came down to get Barabbas out, Barabbas, with all, for all intents and purposes, knew that that was the moment that he would be led away to his crucifixion and his death. But yet those soldiers came down and they told Barabbas, you have been set free. You have been released. Barabbas escaped in that moment, but Barabbas didn't escape on his own merits. He didn't escape the prison. Barabbas escaped based upon the merits and the substitute of Jesus Christ. He is the reason we can escape these things. The thief on the cross is another situation that I think of when I think of this idea of escape. Again, not just a man who was waiting for his condemnation, and righteously so, but a man who was already on the tree, dying for his crimes that he has committed. And as you know the story, he cries out to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the thief on the cross did not escape physical death, but he did escape eternal condemnation and judgment from God. And it is in that moment that he escaped. It was in that last moment, that most serious moment, that most desperate moment that we get this word escape from. There's a desperation here that, that, that needs to be felt and needs to be understood in order for there to be this deliverance or this escape that takes place. We will never experience or appreciate the escape from the, from the judgment of God or from the condemnations of hell lest we understand how close we are to them. We understand how desperate our situation is. One preacher once defined it that unbelievers are literally hanging by a thread over hell and it just takes the snipping of that thread and they fall and that thread is the thread of grace. It is mercy from God that sustains us each and every day and gives us an opportunity another day to be saved, to come to Jesus Christ for deliverance. He tells us here that we not miss this escape So let me unpack this really quick for you and go back a little bit. Hebrews 2 begins with the word therefore. It means to go backwards. So we wanna go back and establish why, what is the therefore? Why is this escape so necessary? When we go back to verse number eight of chapter number one, what we find is is this this reestablishing of a promise that Jesus Christ is going to have a kingdom, that his kingdom is going to be established And then we go back into the Old Testament, his kingdom is going to be established in such a way that it is a perfect kingdom, a righteous kingdom. We'll remember if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter number one, that when God created the world, he created the world in seven days, in six days, and the seventh day he rested. And then he said this, he looked at all that he had created and he said, it is very, very good. The word good in that verse literally means perfect, that God looked out over all of his creation. He looked at everything that he had made and he said, it's all perfect. It's exactly like I meant it to be. And if you study the story that God had made the world in in, in all of its perfection, he places Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them, I want you to have rule. I want you to have dominance. I want you to, to rule over what I have put in this world. I have put it all here for your benefit and I want you to rule over it. In Genesis chapter number three, Adam and Eve both sin. They break God's law and when they break God's law, which was single fold, to not eat of the fruit that's in the middle of the garden, when they break God's law, they usher in, they, they usher in death. 
And not, and not, they usher in physical death, they usher in spiritual death, but they usher in everything associated with death. It is because of the, because of the sin of Adam and Eve that, that, that everything begins to decline and collapse. Here's what the Lord promises. He promises us that one day he will restore the world to the situation, to the, to the perfection that it was in the Garden of Eden. So he's made this promise that he's going to take the world back from its corrupt situation, from its corrupt uh, condition, from its fallen condition, from its unrighteous condition, from its unfair condition. If you just, you just have to look at the world around you and you realize that, that the world is not the way it was in the garden. The promise is, is that God is one day going to restore the world back to the way it was when he, when he made it. He's going to restore it back to a perfect state. That is the promise that the, Lord, that the Lord has made to his people, to all people. He is going to restore the world back to its perfect condition. If you have time, read Revelation chapter number 21. The very beginning talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And, and then Peter talks about that the earth is destroyed with the fervent heat and all of the things, including the very atoms that make up the earth, are going to be dissolved. And then there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and in this new heaven and this new earth, it's going to be ruled and reigned by righteousness. He says that in verse number eight and nine. He says, he says the scepter of uprightness, the scepter is a picture of, of authority. It's a picture of a kingdom. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. How would we like to live in a world where wickedness is hated and righteousness is loved? How would we like to live in a world where, where fairness and, and kindness and, 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 and mercy and grace are the, are the norm? And, and all of those things that oppose those are not acceptable. How would we like to live in a world like that? The Bible says that God has promised to restore the world back to that state. We are, we are looking forward to this, this new kingdom that God is going to bring. And the resurrection was a, it was a pivotal point in proving the fact that that kingdom is actually going to be a reality for us. The resurrection of Christ from the dead was the resurrection of the king of glory who will sit on the throne of his kingdom and he will rule the, the world. He will rule the earth in righteousness and judgment. Isaiah 9 tells us that in verse 6 down to um, several verses later, he talks about, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's Jesus. And he will rule the world in righteousness. The purpose of, the first thought is the, perfect, the purpose of this escape. Number one is the promise of a new kingdom. Number two is the problem with sin. The problem is this, that God has promised a perfect world, but there is sin all over the world. Matter of fact, there's not a human being on the face of this earth that is not a sinner. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone that walks upon the face of this earth, you and I, we are all sinners according to God's word. We have all broken God's law. We talk about the Adam and Eve sin that, that casts the world into this, into this situation of not being perfect and righteous. We talk about their sin, but in reality, our sin is equally as bad as their sin. 
The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 12, for us by one man, sin entered into the world and death passed to all men because all men have, have sinned. So here's the problem. The, the purpose, the reason that we need to escape is the fact that God has promised a perfect kingdom and guess what? We're not perfect. We're not capable of being a part. Matter of fact, God has to deal with us in order to usher in his kingdom. God has to deal with us in order to usher in his kingdom because we are the reason why righteousness doesn't reign in the world. Man is the reason why there is sin in the world and all men are equally sinful. It's easy sometimes to to scale our sins down and to look at somebody who is a, maybe a murderer or somebody who is, is doing some really horrible things and say, you know, I'm really not as bad as they are. Listen to me, folks. If you just put yourself up against the, the, the promise of a perfect kingdom where there will not be any lying, there will not be any stealing, there will not be any cheating, there will not be any foul languages, there will be none of that stuff. When you put yourself up against that, I didn't say there will not be a lot of, I said there will not be any. When you put yourself up against that promise that God has made to us, you will realize this, that I have a problem. I'm not getting in. I'm not getting in on my own merits. I'm, I'm in trouble. I am, the, I, am, I am what's keeping the kingdom from being here. This is the purpose that we have for the kingdom This is the purpose that we have for this rescue, this escape. We have to escape because we are the problem. Romans 3, 10 through 23, the Bible says no one seeks after God, no one is good. It says no, not even one. Romans 1, 18 says that the wrath of God will be be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Not against some, but against all. I don't have time to read this this morning, but if you have time in in your own, Amos chapter five and verse 18 through 24 and 2 Peter chapter three, verse 10 through 13, both deal with this, what's called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, he says in Amos five, he's like, do not desire the the day of the Lord because it is darkness and destruction. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is when God deals with sin so that he can usher in his kingdom. The purpose of escaping is that God is ushering in a perfect kingdom and we are not perfect. God is ushering in a righteous kingdom and we are unrighteous. God is ushering in a sinless kingdom and we are sinful. He goes on to say in verse uh, in verse number um, 10, and you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. In other words, the Lord talks about the destruction that is going to take place, the destruction that's going to take place because of sinfulness. All that God created, he says this. He says, the earth is the earth. He says, you, you laid the foundation of the earth. In other words, you created the earth and you created all that is within it. And the heavens are the work of your hands. And then he says this, they will all perish. What a horrible three words or four words. They will all perish. They're all going to be done away with. 
Why are they gonna all be done away with? So that the Lord could usher in his kingdom. And then he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then we're in chapter number two. So we, we see the purpose of this, um, the purpose of this salvation, the need that we have for this salvation, that we are, we are sinful and cannot enter into a perfect kingdom. We cannot enter into God's perfect purposes. He goes on to say in chapter number two at the beginning, the, the only hope that we have is that we escape, that we escape, we, we escape this condemnation, we escape this judgment of God, we escape the wrath of God, we escape from it, we flee from it. Number two is the prospect of escape, the prospect of escape. This is just hope in a desperate situation. Hope to be rescued or hope to be delivered. The Bible says in, this, in, this, in these verses, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There is a great salvation that we have been told about in God's word. There's a great salvation that we have been, this has been displayed to us. In the same way in, in Genesis 6 where um, there was going to be a great flood that was going to cover the entire earth and God was going to judge the world. God told Noah to preach for 120 years that God's judgment was going to come and Noah built a great ark, didn't he? Did Noah build a little boat? Noah built a great ark and that enormous ark was in the face of all of those sinners all the time. It was right in their face. The, the deliverance that they had was sitting right in front of them in the form of this humongous boat. This huge boat. And, and, and Noah said, all you gotta do is get on the boat and you will be set free from the wrath of God, from God's judgment. You will be delivered. And this enormous, huge boat is sitting there as an example, as a picture that here's your deliverance. The Bible says here, how shall we escape? How shall we escape this judgment? How shall we escape this um, condemnation? How shall we experience deliverance if we don't go about it in the way of this great salvation? This great deliverance. Why is this salvation great? Why is it referred to as a great salvation? There are a few things, if you're taking notes, a few reasons why this is referred to as a great salvation. Number one, it is referred to as a great salvation because of what it pays for. It is deliverance. This, this, this salvation is deliverance from all of our sins. The Bible says that we are set free. Jesus came into this world in Matthew 1. He says that his, his name would be called Jesus because he, will, he would set his people free from their sins. This salvation is great because it deals with all of our sins. Not some of our sins, not our big sins, but it deals with all of our sins because the reality of it is the only way to get into this new perfect kingdom is to have all of our sins dealt with. There is no other way to enter into the kingdom without having all of our sins dealt with because there will be no unrighteousness in this kingdom. There will be no sin in this kingdom. It is a great salvation because it pays for all of our sins. Past sins, 
present sins and future sins, big sins and small sins, accidental sins and purposeful sins, horrible sins and sins that are overlookable. The salvation and the deliverance that is called great in this text is a salvation that is the payment, the full price being paid for all of my sins. There are none that are left undealt with I can stand before God perfectly righteous. I can be allowed to enter into his kingdom because he will see me as righteous because my sin, not because I am righteous, but because all of my sins have been paid for sufficiently in his son, Jesus Christ. I can walk through the pearly gates, if you will, and enter into the kingdom of heaven, not because I am perfect, but because Jesus is perfect. And he died on the cross to pay for every single one of my sins so that I could avoid this condemnation. Hebrews 10 and verse 12 says, but when Christ, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for all sins, a single sacrifice for sins, Jesus Christ made one sacrifice for sins. And what was that, what was that sacrifice? It was his own body on a tree. Jesus died to pay for all of our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. It is a great salvation because of what it pays for. It is a great salvation, number two, because of what it frees us from, what it sets us free from. The salvation that we experience sets us free from guilt, shame, condemnation, and punishment. It sets us free from every aspect of sin. It sets us free from every aspect of sin. We are free from everything associated with this idea of sin. According to the scriptures, we are set free from the law that which, by which we are condemned. Romans 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Delivers us from this wrath. Delivers us from the judgment of God. Delivers us from the condemnation that we so rightly deserve that we've earned with our own works and our own deeds and Jesus Christ's death on the cross delivers us from that. It sets us free from having to face God's wrath on judgment day to being able to face God's kindness on judgment day. His love and his forgiveness. Romans 5 and verse nine says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be, be saved by him from the wrath of God. Listen to me, folks. People listened to Noah preach for 120 years and they laughed and mocked at him. And every single one of them perished. God's going to judge this world. He has promised us in his word just as much as Noah preaching for 120 years that the flood was coming, people have been preaching now for thousands of years and God's word is still true and accurate as much as the promise of the angels that the world would be condemned because of sin, the promise of God's word that the world will be condemned because of sin will come true. 
In Matthew chapter 24, there's a story of a servant whose master goes away and says, I'm going to come back, but I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to come back. He tarries for a long time, and that servant says, you know what? The master's really not going to come back, is he? He starts partying. He starts hanging out with his buddies. He starts abusing his other servants. And one day, the master shows up. And guess what? That man faces the condemnation of his actions. It is great because of what it sets us free from. Nextly, it is great because of what it costs. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to turn there so I don't misquote it. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. And the principle is not fleshly riches or earthly riches. The, the lesson is, is heavenly riches, that he left heaven and came to this earth and took upon a form of a man and he sacrificed or, or for a season gave up all of the glories of heaven so that one day we might experience those glories. And it is through the death of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his life, through the hanging on the tree that he experienced, he did it for us. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. You say, Pastor John, that's not fair. It's like, I'm not, it it is fair. It is fair because the one who determines the law said it was fair and God in heaven said it's fair and God in heaven, the one and only judge said this is how it's going to be. Matter of fact, he says, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't go through life saying this isn't fair. Embrace it with all of your heart. It's like somebody walking up if you've been condemned for a crime that you've committed and somebody walks up and says, I will take their punishment. Don't say, well, it's not fair for you to take my punishment. Embrace it. Somebody is willing to take your place and Jesus Christ was the one who was willing to take our place. It, took a, it, it, it is great because of the high price it cost in order to save us. You see, Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we might embrace him. He died for our sins so that we might believe in him. He died for our sins so that we might be set free, that we might escape all of these things. The last thought this morning, and maybe the most important, is the plan of escape. The plan of escape. Let me give you a few thoughts here. He says, therefore, in verse number one, we must pay we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What we know, first of all, in regards to the plan is the context of the plan is this. The context of the plan or the place in which you will find the plan is the word of God. It is the word of God by which we know how to be saved. It is the word of God by which we know who Jesus Christ is. It is the word of God by which we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is the word of God that brings life. Listen, you will not experience the life, the resurrecting power of Christ if you are not engulfed in his word. People go through life each day saying, I wanna experience the power and the deliverance that Christ offers, but they don't open up the very powerful book that he has given us. It says that you, you, he says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. What are they hearing? They're hearing the word of God. 
They're hearing the word of God. What do we need to pay closer attention to? We need to pay, pay closer attention to pay as much attention as we possibly can to the word of God. To its teachings, to its instruction, to its message, to its messenger. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or, or saved, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it says in verse 15, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news or the word of God who preach the gospel. And then in verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where do we know this salvation? You say, Pastor John, what do I do to experience this salvation? You dig into his word. You find out what he's like. You find out who he is. You learn to believe and trust and embrace him. It's not some ethereal thing, some distant thing. It's right here in front of us. The, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And that's Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have the Lord's presence here with us in His Word. There's power in the Word of God. So we open up the Word and we find out who Jesus is and we learn to embrace Him by faith. We learn to trust Him. If we want to experience that salvation, listen, this, this is what he's saying is don't neglect the message. If you know that this is true, if you believe it's true, don't neglect the message of deliverance. If you believe that condemnation was coming and someone wrote you a letter and said, this is your only escape, this is your only way out, wouldn't you tear that letter open and read it and find out how do I escape this condemnation or judgment? The problem for many of us folks is we've not embraced the fact that judgment is coming. And that this is the letter that was written to us to show us how to escape the wrath of God. The Bible says in Revelation that people, people in, in, in this time of God's wrath, that people will, will literally run to the mountains and beg the rocks to fall on top of them. Why? Why would you want rocks to fall on top of you? They would rather rocks fall on them than face the God who created them, who they rebelled against. When you find that to be real in your heart and you know what you have done against God and you know that you deserve his wrath, you will open up his letter of deliverance and salvation and you will seek to find out how do I know him? The context is in his word. Dive in. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the context of his plan, the caution of his plan is, is twofold. He says, number one, don't drift away from it. This literally means to glide by it. If you've ever been in a canoe before, canoeing down the river, you know, and, and there's, the, there's the waterfall, you know, the 100-foot waterfall there, and, you're, and, the, and, the, and the map says, this is your last chance to get off over here, right? If you, if you miss this exit, you're going to be in trouble because there are the waterfalls. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't get lazy and drift past the exit. This is a serious thing. The waterfalls are right here. God's judgment is right here. It's coming. And he doesn't want us to drift past the, 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 the way in which we can experience his deliverance. Don't drift past it. <laughs> The idea here is just drifting through life, 
distracted by all of the things of this world, distracted by comforts, distracted by pleasure, distracted by all of these things. We're just drifting through life and we miss, we miss the warning. The Bible tells us in Luke 17, verse 26 and 27, that in the last days it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. In other words, they will be living life without any concept of the warning. He says, like there was in the days of Noah, when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In Matthew 25, there's a story of 10 virgins and they're all going to this wedding and they're waiting for the wedding party to come. And the, the way it worked in this time is the wedding party would come and once the wedding party came, they would join the wedding party and they would then go on to the rest of the wedding. The Lord came, the Lord is the, is the bridegroom. The Lord came and went through their little party and they didn't have enough oil in their lamps to make it. They go on to the wedding and they experience the, the wedding, the, the joyous salvation that is there. And those five women weren't able to make it. They come up behind and they knock on the door and say, let us in. And the Lord says to them, we can't let you in. For when we passed by, you were not ready. Don't drift through life neglecting the warnings that God has given us in his word and not just in his word, but all around us. And then the next warning is don't neglect it. This word means to, to make light of, to mock, to be careless about, to neglect, to disregard. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We can't just drift through life thinking everything's going to take care of itself. We can't neglect or mock the warnings that are ahead of us. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. He is the only way in which we can be saved. He is the only hope we have for deliverance. But listen to me, folks. He is a mighty hope, isn't he? Let me give you this last thought. Confirmation for his plan. Here's what he says. For since the message declared to angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, the first confirmation is the angels and the fact that God's law always, always held people accountable and God's righteousness will also hold people accountable in the end. He not only goes there, but he says, if we declared at first by the Lord and was attested to by those who heard, the second group that bring affirmation of this reality are those who are believers, those who have been converted, those who have seen the truth and understand it and believe it. They are, off, they are off also, also confirmation of the truth. Listen to me, folks. 12 guys died for this message. And, and many more than that, but 12 of the Lord's apostles, 12 of his immediate closest friends died for the sake of this message. That's confirmation that there's something to be said for this message. And then it goes on to say that the miracles that we see in the Bible, the signs and wonders and miracles that we see in the Bible are proofs that what God says in his word is true. My challenge to you this morning, this Easter morning, 2019, is this. Don't miss what the resurrection means. Don't miss that it's personal. Don't float through life missing the warnings that are there, 
that tell us that judgment is coming for all of those who are lost. That Jesus Christ died to purchase a people for himself. And if you will believe and embrace him, the Bible says that he will wipe away all of your sins. He will literally wipe, like, like a whiteboard, he will wipe your slate completely clean. And not only that, he says that he will put himself, his, his spirit will come to live inside of you and he will bring with him his righteousness. So here's the picture. I'm going to one day be walking into the presence of God. I'm going to be accepted or rejected. I'm going to be welcomed or condemned. I can be welcomed, I can be welcomed and justified if I come on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for me but I will be condemned and judged if I come on the basis of what I have done for myself. You see, the hope that we have, the ark, like that big boat, right? The Bible says it's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of deliverance. If you this morning will get on the boat, don't wait until the rain starts coming because the door will be shut. But get on the boat of Jesus Christ and the Bible says you will experience a salvation that is amazing. It is a great salvation. So that is my encouragement to your heart this morning. I pray that you will not miss, that you'll not float through life or mock and disregard all of these spiritual truths, but you'll say, you know something? There's something true about that. This is God's word and what it says has gotta be true. It's the number one best-selling book in the world. There's something to that, isn't there? It's a true book. It was written by God himself. And what it says in it is true and accurate. And listen, if you care about life, not just this one, but the next one, find out what God's word says. Don't miss out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for Easter, the time that has been set aside for us to celebrate your resurrection and I pray with all of my heart that we would not miss what your resurrection means, that it would not just be a time of personal celebration of what you have done, but it would be a time of per personal application of what you have done, that we will put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins and experience the deliverance that only he offers. I pray that you would take these truths and penetrate the hearts of all that are here for your glory and by your grace. And we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name.